thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to be here as we continue this week in week five of our series called Anchor. We're examining what it looks like for us to anchor our lives, to find the hope of our lives in the promises of God that we find throughout the pages of Scripture. If I can be honest with you before we get going here, I'm going to cheat a little bit this morning and maybe not unpack a specific promise of God, although I'll contend I'm actually unpacking maybe the biggest promise that God is going to make us. But what I really want to do this morning is unpack a statement that Philip made a couple of weeks ago during this series that has really stuck with me that has really kind of challenged my spirit, that has challenged my walk with the Lord and has challenged me to examine my life. And so if you have your Bible this morning, you can open it up. We're gonna start in Genesis chapter three. Uh, And you can keep a finger there and flip over to Isaiah chapter 53. We'll jump between those two, but those will be the two passages of scripture I want to unpack this morning. And the statement that Philip made just a couple of weeks ago in this anchor series that has really burdened me was the statement of the imperativeness of our trusting God's timing when it comes to God's promises. And as I thought about that statement this week and prepared to share with you guys this week, I thought back to a middle school date story that I had. I wanted to take a girl that I was dating at the time. And yes, I completely understand that if your mom has to drop you off, it is in fact not a date, but at the time it was to me. And I wanted to take my middle school girlfriend, Haley, to the movie theater. And we were going to go see a movie. Now, I am 30 years old. I turned 30 uh, in February, so not old yet, but I am taking this milestone a little bit hard, but we're doing okay with it. And I, so as a 30-year-old, what I am, where I have been in my life is I've been able to watch as this internet bubble has created and now become what it is today. But I want to back up just in case anybody is watching that maybe is a little bit younger than me that doesn't understand what it was like back in that day to have to plan a date. So here's how it went. Before I could call Haley, I had to make the plan. So I had to figure out where we would go eat, what movie we were going to go see, and what time the movie would play. No big deal, right? Except for we didn't have a computer. And so what I had to do in order to find out what time and what movies were playing is call the movie theater, get this, on my house phone. All right, so I would walk into the kitchen. The phone had a cord on it, so you couldn't leave the kitchen. I would dial the Aiken movie theater, and then I would wait because here was this other thing that happened. If somebody else was calling at the exact same time that you were, you got this beeping noise that was called a busy signal, and you would have to hang up, pick it up again, and call back and hope that you were calling at a time when nobody else was calling. And so finally I get through and there's a little recording on the line that tells you what movies are playing on the day that you're looking to go and what time they're going. And so I got the movie picked out. I hang up the phone, look at the clock in the kitchen because at our house we weren't allowed to call other people past 8.30 p.m. And then I would call Haley's house phone. Haley's mom would pick up the phone and I would ask permission to speak to Haley on the phone. 
And then I would tell Haley, hey, here's the plan. I want to go to the movies with you Friday. Here's the times of the movies. Here's where I would like to go get dinner. Would you see if your mom can drop you off and I'll see if my mom can drop me off. But then we were in the seventh grade. So my mom had to stay in the parking lot at Chick-fil-A until we were done eating so that she could drive us to the movie theaters for the date that had been, for the, for the movie date that had been set up the week before. And as I thought back to that, And how normal it felt in that time. I thought, how insane does that feel in the world that we live in today? Where literally at any moment, I have a computer amount of technology in my pocket. I can take my phone out right now and tell you what movies are playing, except for there's not a whole lot of movies playing right now because we can't go to the movie theaters. But at any given moment, I have access to an unbelievable amount of information. And what this has begun to do for my generation and really for the entire culture that we live in is create in us a a self or an instant gratification culture where I want what I want and I want it instantly. And for the bulk majority of the time, we can get it instantly. I can take it out. I can look it up on my phone. Literally, I can remember this week taking things out, taking out my phone out of my pocket to look something up and then not having it load in the first six seconds after I type it in and going, yeah, no thanks. It's not that important. I don't really need to know it. And that's the culture that we live in. It's insane now that we would have to wait on something longer than that or that we would have to actually give I don't know as an answer to a question. And so that reality forces us to the reality that it becomes very difficult for us to trust and walk in God's timing. It's ingrained in us to do everything in a hurry to have everything as quickly as you can get it, to unload things as quickly as you can unload them, and to upload them as fast as you can upload them. And so we struggle to sit and wait in God's promises. We may believe that we're good. The issue is we just want the good to be now. We don't simply want good. We want good and we want good immediately. And so what I want to do this morning is just take a couple of minutes to unpack two truths that I believe are going to help us as we walk in a, in a world where it's impossible to be patient and to help us sit and trust in God's timing. With that in mind, you can open your Bible. Genesis chapter 3 is where we'll start and we'll find the problem. And so the first thing that I want us to do, if we are going to be able to sit in patience, waiting on God's promises, I want us to understand the situation. If you're not familiar with the Bible, I'll kind of catch you up with where we're going to get to in Genesis chapter three. The first two chapters of the book of Genesis are the creation narrative, where God in an overflow of his goodness and grace is going to spill out onto the canvas of creation, a story that testifies to his glory. And if you were to read those chapters in the original language, it's going to read almost like a poem or a song. It's going to have a melody. And so God is going to create and he's going to look at it. It is going to be good. And then he is going to create and he's going to look at it and it is going to be good. And that we are going to walk in perfect community with God. 
that we are going to have a perfect relationship with God. And so here's the incredible thing that happens with the things that God creates that are good is that as we enjoy these things that we'll call common graces, these gifts of God, is that as we enjoy those things, they roll up into a deeper worship of God, that everything we experience in creation causes us to worship God. And so we see that play out in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, whether it be food or breathing or walking or spending a day in the garden of Eden, that everything that happens allows us to reflect and see the total picture of God's glory. And then Genesis chapter three is going to come and sin is going to enter the picture and something is going to fracture the relationship that we have with those common graces. You see, Genesis chapter three, before where we'll get to in verse 12, a serpent is going to show up and tempt Eve. He's going to say, I know that God, you think that God said, but did he really say you can't eat this one fruit that you're not allowed to eat? And Eve is going to surmise to that temptation and her husband, who's standing on the sidelines, not leading, not doing anything, watching this unfold, is then going to take part in eating the only thing that they're not allowed to eat in the entire garden as well. And then they're going to realize the state that they are in and what they have done and hide from God. And God is going to show up and ask them, where are you? And they're going to say, we're hiding because we're naked and ashamed. And God is going to reply, who has told you that you are naked? Did you eat of the tree I commanded you not to eat? And then we pick up in verse 12. It says this, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all of the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. You des your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now we could spend the next four hours unpacking what just happened in this passage of scripture, but we don't have four hours to walk through. So here's what I want to note is happening right here. Is this most heartbreaking passage of scripture is giving us the narrative for the fracturing of the very good that we saw in the creation story. That no longer do we simply experience these common graces and have them roll up into a deeper form of worship. No longer can I simply eat food and be reminded of how incredible Jesus is. No longer did these things happen. This relationship with God, this right relationship with God has been fractured. 
And now humanity as a result of our sin nature lives out all of our days chasing things that only provide temporary satisfaction that we will give over our entire lives to, 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 to gather things that are only going to provide fulfillment for a moment. Just a couple of weeks ago, my daughter Piper turned two. We had a water slide and hot dogs and all that good stuff. And then it came time to the end of the party where it was time to go inside and begin to open presents. And so Piper had been excited all week. Every time we came in, we had told her it was her birthday and she was gonna get presents and she was jacked. She was, I can't wait. And so I would come home from work with my book bag on and she would look at my book bag and go, presents? And I'll go, no, it's just my computer. But the day finally came and she came in and she sat and she had a whole pile of presents. And so she began to rip the bags open and take the stuff out. And she would look at Mickey Mouse and she would look at Cinderella action figures and she would look at a brand new Raggedy Ann doll. And she would look at all of these things that she was given and she'd be very excited about them. And then she would put it back in the bag and move on to the next thing. And so I watched this play out and then something really interesting happened. Everybody had gone home and we were cleaning up some stuff and Piper came back up to me and asked me this question, dad, will you put my presents back in the bag? And I thought to myself, why in the world would she want me to put her presents back in the bag? But I did, I went back in there. Misty says I'm wrapped around her finger. Um, And so I went back in there and I put all of the presents back in the bag and I watched her do what she had just done an hour prior to that. I watched her begin to open the presents again. And then I realized what was happening is that Piper at two years old was beginning to feel the weight of temporary things not filling an eternal void that she unpacked these things and hoped that this moment would last forever. And then she would walk away from the toy and realize that it was not going to deliver what she was hoping it would deliver. And so I think we struggle. I know that we struggle to trust God's timing for God's promises because the dictionary definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. And that's exactly what humanity is doing as we run to temporary things, seeking fulfillment for an eternal void that our sin has created. Is that we continue back and we go, if I can get one more dollar, if I can get one more person to recognize my effort, if I can get one more symbol of status, if I can get one more whatever it is, one more girl to love me, one more guy to love me, wherever that thing is, whatever that temporary thing we seek after is, we run to it and then we allow the hope of our life to terminate on that temporary thing. That we put all of our hope in the basket that this thing can't hold it. And so our right perspective is going to be essential to us as we patiently and joyfully wait for God's promise. But there was also in the midst of the incredible bad news of Genesis chapter three, if you paid attention to verse 15, there's a little bit of a noise of good news that's coming. There's another of God's promises in there. And the promise that God makes to the serpent is that from this woman, I will bring someone who will crush you, who will defeat sin and hell and death. 
And so what I want to do is now that we have a right perspective that temporary things are not going to satisfy is try to steer us towards that coming promise of this thing that is going to satisfy and get an accurate picture of the God who has promised to us from the very beginning of our falling away from God in Genesis chapter three. And in order to do that, we flip over to Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53, starting in verse two, it says this, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he, he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds. See, the second thing that's going to be essential if we are going to trust God's promised timing is that we cling to a Savior. I want to take a second this morning, recognizing that that passage from Isaiah, many of you, if you've grown up in church, are probably familiar with it. You've seen it on coffee cups. You've seen it on, you've seen it on uh, bumper stickers. You've seen it on journals. You've seen it on devotionals. You've walked through this passage, and you know these things. But I want to take a moment and just challenge you to mash pause for just a second and to actually consider with me the picture of Jesus that's painted here. You see, the problem that we got ourselves into in Genesis chapter 3 is that we trust human wisdom, that we trust our own plan and our own design or our own selves. And the reality of that is what we find is that everything that we trust, including ourselves, makes a really, really, really crappy God. And the solution to the problem that we've created then defies all human logic. That Jesus is going to come. He's not going to look like what people thought he would look like. He is not physically imposing. He does not show up with an army. He does not show up with a political system that's going to conquer everything wrong in the world. He's not a government system to fix all issues. He's not a Braveheart Mel Gibson style warrior. He's a humble man of sorrows acquainted with grief, but infinitely powerful, fully God and fully man. Jesus doesn't crush grief with happy TV preacher theology. He doesn't show up to crush our grief by saying everything is going to be okay. Put your faith in me. You'll be healthy and wealthy. Everything will be held together. Jesus shows up and crushes grief by what? becoming acquainted with ours so that he could carry it away. His plan for conquering is to do what? To die so that in death, he can offer us a shot at a restored life that once again, united with Jesus, I can love my wife and loving my wife can be worship. 
that now for those of us, I want you to just think about this because of what Jesus has restored for those of us who would put our faith in him, that now everything I get to experience in this life drives me back to a deeper joy. That if I go out and eat prime rib tonight, medium rare, because cooking it past that is unacceptable and disrespectful to the animal. But if I go out and I eat prime rib tonight and I enjoy the flavors of that prime rib, those flavors are there to remind me that God is glorious. And even those tiny moments of my life can challenge me to a deeper worship and affection of the God who has blessed me with them that each breath of oxygen I breathe into my lungs gives me another second of life that I can celebrate the God who has blessed me with it. I can patiently wait on him in his timing because I have found, I've found him to be, to be infinitely more glorious than myself and my timing. That he and he alone is the only thing that I can trust that Jesus, the murdered son of God, is the only thing worthy of faith in this life. And that everything else I walk in is given to me as a blessing in God's grace that would cause me to worship him more deeply and love him more affectionately. He is the fulfillment of God's single greatest promise. And Christ alone is what I can anchor my life to. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you this morning, God, for who you are. God, thank you that in the midst of our continually choosing things other than you as we seek satisfaction, your response to that is to send your son to restore our relationship. God, this morning, I pray for each of us. God, I pray for those of us who have been following you for a long period of time, God, that we'll be reminded of what it is that you have done for us. God, that we'll be reminded of what you set us free from, God, that we'll lay down all of the other gods that we chase to find our hope and our joy in the only God that satisfies. God, my prayer this morning is for the person who tuned in wherever they're at. God, and they don't know you. God, and they tuned in this morning and they're tired. God, and the world that we live in has beaten them down and they're hopeless. God, and they're longing for meaning that's deeper than politics, that's deeper than an election in 2020. God, they're longing for some meaning in their life that's deeper than a job. God, they're longing for an identity that's more than their biggest failure. God, this morning, would you point them to your cross? God, in your sovereign grace, would you show them what you have done for them? God, and as they see that, will they surrender their lives to you? God, may they cry out this morning, I need you. God, I put my faith not in the stuff of this world or in the stuff that I can possess and the stuff that I can create and the stuff that I can can accrue. God, I put my faith in what your son has already done on the cross. And in, the, and in the life that that buys me. Jesus, then may all of us together walk in that purpose into a world that is marked by chaos and hurt and desperation with a message of hope and joy and fulfillment. God, that's not of us, that's not of a church system. 
God, but of a Savior who laid down his life so that we could embrace every aspect of our lives. We love you, King Jesus. We worship you. We thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.